Welcome everyone to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, and we'll be breaking down remote working and culture. I'm your host, Harry Foku. I work for Evolution Recruitment Gaming. We work for around 30 gaming studios now, and we help them with embedded consulting. That's all we do. And we are a community-led recruitment company. So what that means is basically you'll see me hosting roundtables, one-to-ones, and LinkedIn lives like this with top gaming leaders, bringing everyone together. Hopefully you remember us when you need help. We also do link in-person meetups. Our last one in Stockholm had over 200 gaming leaders show up, and I'm planning one for end of January. So that's of interest. You can let me know for that. So today we're going to be breaking down remote working. I'm joined by the head of studio for End Dreams Elevation, Glenn Brace. Glenn, happy to have hey. you. Yeah, how you doing? Good to be here. Thank you very much. Very good to have you. Amazing. So who is Glenn and what is End Dreams Elevation? <laughs> so myself, I'm uh, Glenn Brace. I'm the head of studio for Elevation. So Elevation is one of the studios in the End Dreams group. I, I sort of started in End Dreams uh, eight years ago uh, when you know, early doors VR, um, where we were doing small products. But even back then, there was a clear mission to get to the sort of AAA high quality VR. So we had small products that gave us a stepping stone to sort of bigger technology base to do the next products. And then that all led up to sort of Phantom, Phantom Covert Ops, which was a, a, a big hit, big game of ours. And then success from that, a few awards from that, and that spiraled out. And, you know, and to be honest, that's been sort of mirroring the growth of VR. So VR, we've been sort of crossing that desert, and, and now it's more commercial, and we've grown, and we've got various backing and support. Uh, studios have grown. We've got multiple studios. We've got four studios now as well. Uh, so Elevation is where I sort of sidestepped away from the sort of business aspect and uh, decided to head up uh, a single studio. Uh, so that's what I'm doing now. Um, and the goal of this studio, Elevation, is very much, I kind of summarize it, is kind of a skunk works of VR. So uh, we are really trying to sort of pathfind what's the best for the VR medium for next gen. Uh, so all the studios have um, sort of specific missions and we sort of spread the bets where we do that. Um, we also all sort of pour into core tech as well. So, so all of the shared learning is going to a nice pool as well. So at the moment, we are pathfinding for that next gen of VR, which, you know, is incredibly exciting, some awesome stuff going out there. But essentially, yeah, that's that's elevation. That's what we do. Um, and more importantly, we do it 100% remote as well, which is cool. Yes, and that is what I want to get into today, which I'm very excited about, because you've told me some interesting things. Um, so everyone, just a quick logistic stuff, if you're new to LinkedIn Live. So I've seen everyone coming in now. So if you're in the chat, just say hello, see if you're here. And we'll be having a Q&A around 10 minutes before the end of the hour. And we'll stay as long as it takes just to get through everyone's questions. So we'll get straight into that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you said in one of your articles, Glenn, don't virtually repeat the office. So I wanted to ask you, what did you mean by that? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, so one of the journeys we've been on over a number of years, uh, Plus some of the things that a lot of people experience with sort of COVID appearing on the scene, a lot of people going remote and all sorts. But the key thing was we had a chance to build a studio from the ground up. And we also had the opportunity to sort of self-fund uh, some proper innovation. That was one of the goals that we wanted to do as well, innovation in the VR medium. So it sort of begs the question what you want from your dev team. So it's interesting. So one of the things we did when we first started was we did a little bit of um, sort of process mapping to say, you know, ignore studios as we know it, 
but essentially what do we want to do uh, how do we want to do it and all those behaviors we want and interestingly when you actually process map purely your end goal and look at it it doesn't marry exactly over studios as you know them in the past <laughs> so mm -hmm. interestingly so we start asking questions about like why are we working those ways that we've all worked for years in studios things like uh, hierarchical structures things like you know leads to directors and having the meetings and you know various scrum things and info flowing down and all that you know it is a ways it's proven it works and we all lived it for years but actually you know there are other ways and i think when we start adding in sort of a lot of contemporary software cloud working collaborative tools and bits and bobs you know you, there's room to explore other so I think that was a, a, the first sort of really interesting point. I had a chance to explore this on a project very early, which showed a lot of success. And then I moved that over to Elevation, built the studio around that. And that was really interesting. And what we found was uh, natural benefits just started to boil up. Um, mm. So I had, and there's, oh, there's a whole list of those as well. So one of the things is that get the, the physical problem. So when you're in a studio, you know, there are physical problems with like you can only gather so many people around someone's monitor. Yeah, and then the point where it gets a bit awkward when someone gathers around someone's monitor and people don't like that and it's for obvious reasons. And then same with meeting rooms. How many times when you want to meet in but you can't because the meeting rooms are full and there's only the small room or the big room and the boardroom's busy and so on and so on. So, on. so you find the whole nature of development in a sort of physical space, um, you know, the structure is built around the physicality. When we remove that, um, you know. It brings new ways and opportunities. So what we found by that was we found a way of working that was kind of meeting loose. So uh, I wrote a few articles about it, but essentially getting rid of meetings. Uh, and, and the goal of that is not to not communicate, not to have meetings, but the goal was to realize that if you're remote, there is no physical limit of how many people can be in a meeting or how people can communicate. So what we found by mixing software like uh, Teams and Miro together, we could have uh, large groups communicate on all fronts. So you got the video going, you got people listening, you got people putting in the chat, you got people adding to Miro whilst people are talking. And we found it to be amazingly uh, productive, not just collaborative, but productive, where you could really get a large team and all of the thoughts and opinions and all the knowledge in a single space really effectively. Uh, so it's not just like a video call where everyone has to wait to talk, which is you know one of the frictions people had when COVID was doing its thing. Um, we've actually found ways to sort of get everybody to have that uh, input, which has been incredibly, uh, not just inclusive, but the quality of information you're getting to your production team and to your sort of product managers is gone through the roof. Um, so what we're seeing is data, uh, how regular you get data, your tracking information is far more real time and more real. So we're seeing correlations between even the production staff uh, are reflecting this actual state of software far more accurately, more frequently um, and more up to date, which is, which is great as well. So the other aspect of that we've seen is we're seeing a lot more people having to easily put their input or information or even critiquing on every aspect of development. Now, there are some initial fears that people had at the beginning, which was along the lines of, you know, you can't design by committee and not everyone has opinions and so on and so on. And, and 
yeah, everyone's got opinions, but you can't sign my committee. That that is a real challenge, can't be ignored. But you can put a framework in place where every uh, expression opinion can be recorded, but there can be a process to say, well, this is the framework, this is the criteria, this is the goal, which ones are in the goal, which ones are out of the goal, and you, you run that process. And what you find is the team start to get on board with said criteria, said goals. Uh, and rather than relying on leads and seniors and, and a hierarchy structure to qualify what is in, out, good, not so great, um, you find the team start doing that themselves. They're going, well, here's an idea, but hang on a minute, you know, is it in line with this? Does it fit with that? And so on. And then the next thing you know, they're, they're filtering themselves. So you're passing down ownership of even the high-level objectives. So, you know, the role of directors change, the role of seniors change. And, and what we found was, I just I use the word distributed, like we distribute the sort of production mentality across the entire team more. And what that does, that brings ownership, but it also brings responsibility. As in, like, this is the goal, and this is the time that you've allocated. You've got to deliver as well. But people are a lot more informed on what they're delivering and why. And what we find is we're getting consistently uh, to the end of a sprint, and the success rate and the expectations of being met are very high. Like, you know, traditionally, you'd have a good sprint, and, uh, you know, something's made it, something's didn't, something went a bit left field, some bit's not. Yeah, what we're finding is that investment in ownership and comms and goals is paying off in continuity of successful delivery of sprints. And um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of things there that you can go into. Um, yes, there is. So I have a few questions there. So you mentioned yeah. no meetings. So just practically here. So are you doing any form of standoff, any form of retro? And sort of point. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's what we talk about in terms of where the studio exists. So we say no means it's a little bit, little bit glib because obviously we do gather and we have process and all sorts. But what we mean is, is we always inform the team where they can be put. Everyone can put themselves in positions of knowledge, so everyone knows where these means happens, and all means are open. So the studio itself exists in live channels. So when we have a sprint. And a sprint planning session, which the whole team's on the sprint planning session. All of the um, stories are put out there. The story owners read out the criteria. Um, and then instantly they do the usual sort of um, predictions on the Fibonacci scale of how complex or not complex that is. And we quickly get alignment. And that's the whole sort of sprint agile process thing. But whilst we're doing that process, the team will decide of all the stories, which one sort of group together on a feature level. So the entire team is operating at a feature level, not like art, design, code. You know, it very much is, this is all to do with player character. This is all to do with said system, said system. And they will decide those channels. So on average, you'll probably get, when we've got over 50 or people now, we're looking at about seven channels. So these are on teams, just to clarify. On teams. So we mean a channel on teams. And then every channel has a subject, uh, a theme, player character, for example. Um, and there will be a mirror board for that as well. So if you go to your email, um, rather than having hundreds of meetings everywhere, what you've got is you've just got long bars for the next three weeks sprint, because we tend to work on three weeks sprints, and you can click on that channel and drop in. So they are drop in, drop out live channels. And every channel has the relevant board as well. And what that does is it gives a virtual studio space. So when you're working away, uh, if you're doing anything to do a player character, you go to that channel. Or if you want to find anything out about player character or discuss player character, you know where to go because it's there. And the mirror board 
tracks everyone's progress. So the other aspect to this is a little bit of discipline where everybody publishes their work. So you don't go a day without publishing a work. And Miro is a fantastic medium for all disciplines, art, design, code, it's not just a visual thing, to publish their work. And publishing work, we mean is relevant to software, relevant to the game, relevant to the user, the player of the game. So like you don't go on a board and see loads of code, but you will go on a board and say, we've just implemented this code system that gives you this in the game, here it is. Mm -hmm. So everybody, can actually understand this uh, feature level, all efforts and track them. At the same point, everyone can look, review and comment. And what we found was is these channels brought people together because it was very focused where we existed. And it was a workspace like a studio where you would discuss the feature and the topics. But also it was kind of the place where you sort of hung out and chat about your awesome Lego collection and all sorts. And um, and that worked as well. And we found this dynamic between sort of always present, always having that social connection, but also being very connected to the project. Where the discipline comes in is when you, as a group, you start going off on one about, oh yeah, what about the levels? Yeah, not sure about... When you start talking about levels, you go to the levels channel, if there's a level mm. channel. Um, so the discipline is, You've got to go where the work's being done. And that's one of those sort of behaviors and ethos is, is everyone must understand if we want this open culture where everyone wants ownership about the work we're doing, there has to be discipline and a framework around that. And that's something we've been really clear on as well. Um, so to your question, what are they? They're essentially each sprint broken down into channels, which are live teams channels, which many people can jump on. And that is the home for that stuff. Now, the interesting stuff from that is it's kind of casual like we're talking now we could be chatting on the channel <clears throat> but actually formal reviews happen in their channels as well and that's where the format comes in so for example just using player character again if it was about player character and its motion and deformation you got you know character animation skinning and traversal systems technical designers all piling in um anyone can join that review the whole studio, if they want to go there, but if you feel that you have input or you want to update something, you need to know about this, then you put yourself in that meeting. So the whole so, point, rather, sorry, again. I'm just curious. So is that a meeting which is just sent to all studio on a calendar and someone can click join? Like when, how could someone know it's happening? Right, so that's it. So those channels are persistent for the whole sprint and in your calendar, you put a reminder, like for example, uh, two to three is this review. But that's not me. What that is, is that is at this point in that channel, oh, wow. that's happening. So the difference it's here like, is like notice directors and leads, right? They will um, look at this content and they will review it and they will critique it. Um, and this is where a little discipline comes in. So what it does, it forces like the, the act of critiquing and communicating has to be clear and across the board and opaque what it's not it's not going to a meeting room and then a group of people decide things and then come out and feedback's given and then the person doing the work so well why am i doing that and then what you do is you repeat the reasoning and then that gets passed down well why did that happen and that you get like a chain reaction so the whole point here is that review is happening there and the reason is is if everyone's there they're there for the journey they understand the decisions they understand the reasoning but it's also mentoring your people, they're going, well, I never considered that, or I didn't know that. So from junior to senior, they're seeing like the decision process play out. Now, sometimes you might find that decision, that process might take a bit longer. And it did at the beginning. We found a lot of these meetings 
took a long time, you know, because of the time we spent in these channels. But it wasn't lost time. That was time invested in bringing everyone on the journey, understanding why we're making those decisions and, and constantly mentoring in the sense of these are our game pillars. This is the business studio. This is how we work. This is our goal. So actually, this is good because it aligns to this and this. That is very strong, good articulation. So, so we're going to go forward in that direction. And that's why, you know, and if anyone has challenges or issues with that, fine. And, and the thing is, this is what's great. Like we're talking now, no one else can sort of chip in. But like it, actually on the Miro, you can be putting comments and you can put in this and people can review. And I might even pick up on some of those notes whilst I'm talking and address those or turn it into a learning moment and so on and so on. Huh. Often, you could even pick on a few things that come up that, you know, cause confusion and turn that into a mini lesson plan. Like, like, like after this meeting, we're going to take that topic and we're going to dive in on that. And we'll, But we're going to do this in that channel. You know? um, so what we found was... The act of a senior or director was very much more around um, sort of governing the, the the north star, the game pillars, you know, what we're trying to achieve, not dictating how. And what we found is the team, when they're far more uh, clear and uh, understanding the actual expected results we want from software. Yeah, they come up with their own solutions. Like they're the, they're the talent. They have the knowledge. They have the expertise. You know, we don't have to tell them exactly what to do on all the fronts. Now we can we can help and we can give guidance. But essentially, they have responsibility to delivering on a a, a chunk of work. And that's where that's where we get into like um, road mapping and time boxes and bits and bobs like that. But essentially, what we found there is the studio exists on these few channels, and I think the the success that we've seen has been accelerated by reducing the amount of noise so for example we moved away from slack uh slack is a you know it's great and a lot of people use this very instant but it's also it's a constant stream and things get lost is it important is it chats hard to tell so what we found is by just getting the whole studio to have teams and miro and that's how we work and that's it it brought more people together more often mm -hmm. and that was one of the successes we had in terms of you know it enables us to not have these like closed off meetings. You know, it enables us to uh, communicate more often to the team. It enables alignment. But more importantly, no matter where you are, who you are in the studio, or where you sit in the team structure or anything, you are empowered to put yourself in a position of knowledge. From planning to production to feature, you know, it's up to you. So what you can't get is that, well, I wasn't informed, or I didn't yeah. know. What we're saying is it's all here. Part of your behavior responsibilities, you must put it upon yourself to inform yourself because it's all here. You know, um, so it's a bit of a mindset flip, but it works. It works really well. Now, it's the first time I'm hearing of a setup like this, but there's so many benefits, which you've already mentioned. But I'm just thinking now, like the lessons, it's like economies of scale. Like that lesson that I've had for one person, like, oh, this is a piece of context, which is very important. Now everyone gets to learn that. On every design splint and i'm i'm guessing like you could record those design splints or yeah you yeah, know obviously sometimes you do record them as well uh people can come back to them later on and this is the other thing the mirrors there so when you're having meetings the mirror is print growing which is a record of decisions and even when you have stories you know you might want to pivot mid sprint and we have what we call qualifiers 
And uh, so, like, for example, we saw this, we explored this, but the next round, I want to see more X, more Y. These are the qualifiers. So when we next gather, we'll come to this mirror and we'll look at those qualifiers and go, right, how we address these qualifiers. So, again, very clear uh, objectives that are recorded, they're discussed, right? and it all happens simultaneously together. And it's everyone's got those multiple mediums at the same time to interact with and communicate. So even if you don't get time to watch the whole video of a meeting, which we do, we do record some of them, uh, you can go to the mirror and update yourself because they're all annotated as well. It is a beautiful thing when you see the start of a sprint board mirror uh, for a specific uh, feature and you just have the kickoff, which is, um, a, a, again, another thing that's been embellished loads by this process. And then a few days in, you know, it goes down a little bit. Then, you know, come back later on, you're seeing all these streams and channels of work, all the updates and all the decisions when it moves along the evolution. If you go away for a couple of weeks, come back, you can track a mirror board and actually see the progression from the start of what we want to do. Sorry? Can you see the progression? Do, do you... Yeah, yeah, you see the mirror boards grow. They will grow and grow and grow and grow. It's, like, it's a beautiful thing when you see the boards at the end or near the end of the sprint. You can actually see the, the, how the evolution of, of software, sort of documented, documented as it goes through, all the links, clips of movies and films and what's going on, you know, where, you know, tech design have gone in and smoothed a feature off and then Coda's done some bit more here, then the artist grabbed that and you can see this feature just grow, 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 grow. It's great. That and sounds very nice. got the notes and that and what people think. But th this is the thing I will stress is it's it's very open and it's very collaborative. It's very inclusive. If you don't give a strong framework, it can get messy and noisy. So, so how we combat that is as these mirrors grow, I'd love to show you some, but obviously it's sort of lots of stuff. Yeah, show. secret but, stuff. Um, uh, as they go down, one of the evolutions that we've added is there is a section for what do you think, ideas, everybody, you know, give me your thoughts. And then there's another section after that and go, right, okay, next step decisions. Like we've taken all this into account, we've discussed it, and that will happen on the channel. And then we go, right, we like this, we like this, this is working well, this isn't, we want to focus on that, that, that. So this is the actual decision review in action, recorded and documented. And let's go again. And you go again. You'll see within a sprint that a few times, like explore, work, review. And what it does, it stops the, the mentality of I'm going to work for two weeks or three weeks, depending on how long it's running. And at the end, what do you think? Because everyone fits mm. their work into their time. We say, no, go fast and go, boom, what do you think straight away? Right, pivot, change now, next one, next one. And that revolution during a sprint. So the, the, the sprint becomes you know, a nice framework from a high level strategy point of view in terms of the project moving forward. But you're not keeping all the items like um, tracks of these um, review points where you're waiting for a certain group to get together. The other onus is there is review. You know, it changes the role of a senior person or a director, pending pending a studio. As in, you know, you need to be on hand to keep up these reviews. The work's coming thick and fast. It is live. You see it grow. And you know, if you're slowing that down because you're not reviewing and checking out, I mean, my opinion is it should roll forward. You know, is onus on uh, the senior staff members to actually keep on track of that uh, evolution, momentum of product. Um, and this process enables that because it's very open, very organic. So when you consider that, now with, you know, just talk about one feature, one growth, and say you've got seven boards, you know, you've got so much access to so much content that you can play, see, grow, judge, evolve. 
yeah, as a director, it's great because you can see it all. But at the same point, you get a really good feel of momentum, what's going well, what's going, what's not. So it's a brilliant oversight, but it very much does change the dynamic between the team owning the work and pushing it forward versus the role of seniors or directors that actually are there to kind of almost, I would say, more mentor than direct, really. Because you're saying, this is how you should think. This is how you should uh, critique. This is the goal. Does your work hit the goal? And the team should answer, well, it does hit the goal for this reason and that reason. Uh, so that language and that way of working is very powerful. Um, and obviously, different people approach it different ways from junior to senior. But over time, people get that language. They understand that responsibility. So everyone has a discipline. But what we say often is everyone's a developer. Oh, yeah, you might be an animator. We're not here just to make animation. We're making a game. And everything you do adds mm. to the feature. How is the feature? And so on and so on. Yeah, I feel like this all sounds so amazing. It's just, it definitely is like, I feel, I'm going to get to this later. But I'm just thinking like if someone wanted to pivot into this, there's a lot of, I guess, education that needs to happen. I've seen someone put a message uh, in the chat now. So. Before I get into that, um, I want to ask a bit more. I just want a couple of clarifying things, actually. So in terms of virtual tools, so are you just not using Jira at all? Like all the documentations in Miro or? No, we do use Jira. So um, the main studio facing tools is mostly Teams and Miro. Uh, you can actually, so often we, we still work in Jira. Team does the sprint planning in Jira, but the, uh, the tickets in Miro will get transferred into Jira. Nice. So, um, so Jira, yeah, it's a very powerful tool. Like the backend, I guess. Throughout this in industry, obviously, love and love or hate it, there, yeah. you know, it does do a very good job. But what we don't want to do is we don't want our team to be stuck recreating certain people's jobs and be buried and lost in Jira themselves. So what we've got is we've got these very big Miro interfaces that large groups can interact with, update. And our actual production team will do the Jira work. The only thing that um, we do with Jira is we do do stand-ups. Uh, so stand-ups happen in the morning, traditional sort of agile structure. And uh, you do push things along the board in Jira. But that is actually comms. And generally, the production team will move it forward. But in terms of the ins and outs of Jira, we do not expect our team to be interacting with Jira. But all that happens in Miro. But it translates, but there's a production job to translate that data into Jira. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so. It, uh, and just to offset that balance, it's not all more work for production, because actually, what we're doing is we're instilling a production mentality mentality into every team member. So they're responsible for their planning. They're responsible for how are you trying? How are you doing this? What is your, you know, tell me your roadmap, what we're doing. Here's the sprint. But more importantly, you know, if someone, you know, doesn't deliver the end of the sprint, it's okay. Was it complexity? Was it, um, you know, was there a technical problem? Was it a tools problem? Whatever that is. And we encourage them to roll that into their next planning. So a lot of the production stuff we are sharing with the team. We're making every team member have production responsibility. And that's what's really important, accountability. Like when someone signs up to, oh, I want to do this, I want to try this, fine. But we must deliver by this point in time. This is your time bot. So you need to map out how you're going to approach that. Tell me what you want to do. And we'll do it. We'll see. And we'll track in software the results, whether it's going to make it or not. Um, but that that decision is driven by the team and, and the, the talent driving said feature. 
So it's a shift of dynamic. You know, we don't build schedules where producers chase up and just and pass schedules down to team members to deliver by a certain point in time. Like that's the opposite to what we're doing. Yeah. So it sounds like you really, like team member ownership is very important. So yes, yeah. I guess I the proactive I, side of that, I'm curious, like how do you instill that in people? Yeah. Okay. So that's an interesting one. So, um, so it is important. It's the backbone to the studio, how it works. What we're saying is there's an opportunity in the studio to really own, push and deliver. Um, but with that comes a certain discipline and responsibility. So you need a certain mindset. I think the way to get that is almost an upfront agreement going like, this is how we work. And if we're going to design for uh, innovation, we need to plan for discovery and we need to plan to fail. We need to understand what are the, you know, uh, spaces we can allow ourselves to bring a feature online. Um, so, so that's a key thing I think is the go into it, knowing your discovery. That's a very important aspect, like time to fail and assume you will and assume you will iterate. Then the other side of that actually comes to behaviors. So I kind of think of it as like a mini contract of each sort of team member of we will share everything and give you autonomy. You can act on your agency the developer to do what you want with this time. Essentially, you know, the team members are spending money and we are giving them the freedom to spend that money. Um, but they have a responsibility to come up with goods. So really, it's a, it's a kind of mini contract. Now, what we do with that is we come back to our behaviors. Um, actually, I've got an image I could, probably could share. might help. Um, uh talk to that which i might do right now where's the share button there we go i'm going to share this image quickly i think let's do it Would I share so when someone's onboarding uh to the team like new to the team and we introduce that hey we do work slightly different here um this is kind of like a starting point this is a very boiled up result of some of our process mapping we talked about earlier but um essentially there's a, there's a term we use to encapsulate how people sort of, we'd like them to think in the studio. And that is um, <laughs> setting up scenarios for success. We want people to set themselves up for success. There's no point shooting for a thing you know you can't hit that you're just gonna under deliver and so on and so on. So you must be planning for scenarios that are definitely deliverable, you know, definitely demonstrable that you can see them in software and you know you can do them to the quality we expect. So like that, that's success. And is that deriving from the developer or the lead? Like who's doing that scenario setting up? Well, let's say so we that's where the user story and acceptance criteria comes on. Here is an ask from uh, a stakeholder. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the a kickoff process is where the team will grill the hell out of that stakeholder. And I mean grill. I encourage my team to question and give any uh, director or stakeholder and absolutely on exactly what it is they think they're going to get. What is the expectation in their head? And then there's a kind of negotiation after that point of like, well, I can't give you this, but I can give you that and I'll give you that. And the important thing is, is that stakeholder, basically they want this in the software. Like how you get there, they're open. And to be honest, that's how discovery happens. I don't care on mine how you get there. If my end result is this as a user, if I, if I have a gun that just makes me feel badass and empowered, then that's going to be a great gun, for example. Yeah. Um, so the team will actually say, well, I can do this, I can do this. And they'll talk and have a kickoff and they'll come up and they'll present that plan back. They'll then time box that and then the sprint will go. 
but before we even get to that sort of mentality, the key thing there is this is the sort of the agreement. So a lot of companies have these behaviors and statements like, you know, in this company, be bold, in this company, so on and so on. And they, I do believe in them, they are good, but I believe in them when they are relevant to your actual dev process and structure. I think that's really important. So for example, in Dreams, we have collaboration, balance and empowerment is like a, a cross the business understanding of, of how we want to be, how we want to operate. And that's great. What does that mean to someone actually in the studio, you know, building a character or implementing a, a combat system and so on and so on. So it's got to be relevant. So for me, setting up salon success is the kind of route to this. Now, what the agreement is, is there must be a shared vision. So what everyone's doing on this game, they all know. If you ask anyone in our studio what we're doing, it just rolls off the tongue. Like there has to be a joint understanding of what that is. And that's the pure responsibility of the director to really crystallize what it is you're trying to do. Is that now, for the entire have, game? Or like each feature would have a vision? Yeah, entire game. So for a game, that vision must be totally understood and shared. And that's a senior responsibility. <coughs> now, what that does, that allows for that um, creativity. So this is the vision, but it's not a dictation. So like, you know, to do that, we could try this, we could try this, we'll do all that. We want to bring on creativity in, in features, not just sort of visuals or just one aspect. Uh, and then the enthusiasm as well. There needs to be the enthusiasm behind, you know, this vision. It has to sort of be there as well. So the snow for success, I mean, we want it. Everyone wants it. Everyone wants to set themselves up. But that's not just a director responsibility. That responsibility goes right down to the individual team. Or I'd say to, to a, a junior who's just not long started even. So the act of a scenario for success, for example, a team planning and buy-in. So because of the team channel structure, when a story is proposed, there is that kickoff session. And it is grilled. And it's down to that team to say, this is what you can get in the sprint. I can't do what you're asking, but I can give you this. Mm. Quite often, they go, oh, actually, that's all I need. Go, oh, okay, cool. So your expectation, they're all getting balanced off and met. So it's really important that the individuals in the actual team, they they really grill. They get under the skin of that task. What is the expectation? What are you reading? What are you... And then it can be either, sorry, you can't have that. It's not possible in this time. You know, but you can have this. And and that happens. Sometimes I go, I'm, I'm going to change my ask as a stakeholder because I understand I'm, I'm cracked. So um, so get rid of that and do a new one. But that's based on the team feeding back what's possible, what's not. But more than often, you'll get a solution that you hadn't thought of. But what you've done is you've distilled down the want. How you get there is totally left field and comes from the team. And that's when beautiful things happen. And we have had that. Um, and continue to do. And what we find then is the team buy into their own planning. They will plan out what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and they'll do their own time boxing. So it's important to go, okay, I'm bought into what you propose, and this is the time that you need to do it. Um, then, you know, people are infused to do their own work, try their own ideas out, and also they are responsible for getting better at estimating. They're responsible for delivering within that time frame. And then that's where the senior experience comes in. Sometimes not everyone is, you know, great at predicting the complexity they're taking on. And that's part of the learning curve. And that's the mentoring. So, but the key thing is team buy-in. The team generate their tasks and decide how they're going to work and how they're going to tackle it. And once they're bought into it, because it came from them, then, you know, they're going to be infused to drive it forward. And that's what we want. 
so the other thing there is like fail fast, for example. You know, fail fast, you know, it's so important. Often, I find a lot of developers as a whole go way more and more complex than ever you need to see. Like, I would say, like, get the minimum fastest thing as fast as possible. Understand if you'd like it before you even go anywhere. So, you know, that scenario for success is 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 an element of mentoring, steering, but also, you know, planning and buying. So we can break down, if you want a scenario of success, where are those responsibilities? And I can point to the responsibilities of the, the, the junior members, the responsibilities of the seniors guide, the responsibility of the lead, and the responsibility of the director. They all have different responsibilities. But if we want a scenario of success, I can define where those responsibilities lie. I think that's really important. And I think everyone knows where those responsibilities lie. Cool. How many times do you say responsibility? <laughs> um, and then other things, I won't go into as much on everything, but like about the software, this is a really important thing is, you know, what is done, what is success. You know, we're not reviewing, I'm going to pick on, I don't know, VFX to be the most shiny, sparkling break. You know, what I need is the VFX must communicate the anticipation. It must do this, it must do that, and it's got to and it's got to render, and it's got to do all this. It's got to, it's got to add to the feature of, say, the weapon. So I'm not reviewing VFX, I'm reviewing the weapon. So um it's got to be about software everyone should measure their success about well in software so it's no point having a really cool just concept piece is if once it's in game it doesn't look as cool and doesn't as work you know, yeah so it's got to be good in software which again sounds obvious but when we come to review anything or judge anything we do it in software we review software whether something is good idea or bad or whatever it in software is king that's I a very good point i think because I've seen that happen a lot with, oh, this talk about this game designer idea or this concept art. But so you're saying, like, if something's going to be judged, it needs to be made in software first. Yeah, software is king. Absolutely. Yeah, we need to say, even the best concept art, oh, great. Can we sign it off? Well, no, because I'm not selling concept art. We're making a mm. game. So, like, how does that translate? And when it's in, when you've closed that loop, you know, that's what we should be focused on. And that's how we should measure the success because we need concept art that can translate into the game well. Yeah, you know, that's yes. success. So again, coming back to setting yourself up for success, how you do that. And the key thing is about the software, because you know, animators are going to animate, people are going to, you know, everyone's going to do their thing, but we need to get people into the mindset of all success comes down to software. So that's what you should all be looking at and reviewing and iterating. Um, and then interestingly, direction. So there's no auteur in, in the show. There's no like single visionary that's going to tell everyone what's doing. It's all going to be amazing because they have, you know, amazing creative vision. Um, I believe the software is the best director as in, and we've seen this and we're leaning into this. We, the, the best direction comes from playing and looking at your software. And that's why we instill this into our team. Um, you know, often the directors will look at software and go, oh, that's not working well. I think we should do this. So really, <laughs> it's the software directed, really. It's just people articulating that. And that is another important thing. So often people say, well, what do you think of this game? Well, let's put it in software and let's have a look. And we play it. And we go, and what do you think now? I go, well, what do you think? Go, well, does it do what we want? Is it this? And then the next thing you know, they've answered their own question. Because software. Software is king. Um, transparency. I mean, this goes over a little bit. We said the whole thing about all means being open. Everything is reviewed in the open. We don't do these little side meetings. The whole dev team uh, lives and decides in channels. So that transparency is there. 
Now that can only happen when there's that discipline we spoke about earlier, but you can put a framework in to get that. So there's a there's a balancing act to be struck, but it can be done. Um, what that gives you is, you know, that, uh, yeah, honesty is there. Uh, honesty is in, you've got to call out what's not making it, you know, and, and, and where things are going well and all sorts. And uh, it brings honesty to everything, mainly because, like, you can all see it. It's all in the open. It's all there. Decisions are there. Um, you can all hear more things firsthand, which is just positive. And then the other thing is like collaboration. You know, it's designed as a framework to bring people together, but also have a framework that has formality to where decisions are made. So it's the best of both. Um, the other aspect we got is, uh, which is something we've evolved a bit through this process as well, is um, through communication. So what's important is not just we can all be in each other's faces. You know, it, it's important that communication is fast and frequent. You know, there has to be a succinctness and communication must function well. And that's another thing. So part of that mentoring is how to communicate, how we communicate on multiple levels, whether it's written, you know, in meetings, all these other ways. And we have um, uh, a style of ticket, even a color code of ticket. This is a thought. This is a fact. You know, so we even understand graphics. But okay, I see what you're talking about here. So communication is even distilled down to a certain format. And where you put that comms, whether it's a decision thing or just a thoughts thing, instantly distills as well. So there's a formality that is very easy to consume a lot of information. Um, just going back to Miro a second, one of the reasons I love Miro is it's very accessible. Like trying to get a director to jump into Unreal look at something, they're not going to open Unreal. You know, trying yeah. to get other people to say, hey, on this document, on this Excel, on that tab, it's not going to happen. You know, and so on. So, so what I love about Miro is it's the single format that everyone can hone in on. Like I can send a link to anybody and they can click it. It's there, it's visual, but it still houses the right format. So from videos, you know, images, text, the lot. You know, so it's it's the perfect medium to bring everyone together in the same place. And we've had great success with that. And then the other thing is well-being. You know, pro people prioritize healthy scenarios, and by that we have broken down. Healthy scenarios for us is don't overscope yourself. You know, you know, if there's an ask that's too much, then say it's too much and quantify the amount. You know, so the whole thing about um, you know crunch. No one likes to crunch, right? Uh, no one plans to crunch, but it happens sometimes. Um, now for us, we are adamant we're not, and we haven't, and we don't. And the key thing there is we need healthy scenarios. So we look out for when scenarios are going a bit wrong. We look out for people putting more out as if they should. And then we have to ask why. Why is that happening? Why is that happening? And where is it going? And when we have had inklings of that happen, generally, it means we go back to our process map and go, where did it go wrong? How did that happen? Let's put an evolution in. And then we evolve that process. And that brings us neatly onto one of the some other elements, uh, which is I'll stop sharing actually because we're quite boring looking all that. Um, yeah. uh, is at the end of every sprint, you know, we have sprint shutdown. We share the works, we see the successes, the failures, what works, and mentor. We also have the retro, and most people probably know about retros. You have, you know, how often do you do them? Sorry, how often do you do them? Uh, retro at the end of every sprint. Uh, we did Very experiment with doing them every other sprint. And I think we sort of to and fro between those, pending the phase of development. So there is a bit of flex in that. Um, but uh, generally, at the end of a sprint, and one of the key things about that is when you come to the what didn't go well, um, we at the end, we clumped them all together into the themes that didn't go well. 
or friction points or tools that crashed or stability, whatever the challenge is, they, they vary every sprint. Um, we group them up and then we get the whole team to vote on them. And the rule is, no matter what the directors say or what the structure studio is, the top voted things must be addressed for the next sprint. And what that means, it means the whole team has their sort of power, I suppose, power or influence over their own project and studio. So if they are having friction challenges, they can they can call it out, they can communicate it, and basically self-prioritize that. And that forces um, directors and production team members to sort of tackle those challenges and issues. And then next sprint, you can often it's tackled or it's got better and so on and so on and new things. So it's a nice way to formalize health, team health as well. What do you think? Because there's things that you care about in the studio head, there's things you care about as a production person. But yeah, sometimes these gaps between what's going on with the team doing the work can really appear and, and often saying as simple as um, a tool that's just not stable enough. And it really causes pain, everyone, every day. But it, it's deemed a small thing, but it's not. It's a big thing causes problems. And this process allows those things to bubble up and we, we knock them off nice and early, which is quite good, quite helpful. Thanks. So, so much new stuff there. Like definitely going to have to write this all up a little bit because this <laughs> so i actually have a lot of questions from the chat so before we get to them i have a couple of things i wanted to ask so yep. from remote setting point of view to so 50 people working remotely you obviously have the channels which are open but yep. i wanted to ask if isolation is ever a concern i feel like if you have people coming into the office you build relationships maybe easier so i was wondering like how you think about like isolation like building those social bonds yeah it's an interesting one that keeps coming up specifically as sort of applicants or new recruits apply that is a common subject mm. now what we found in practice it's a bit of a tough one because it's kind of like trust us but <laughs> in practice we found the way we're working is more social and more connected than actually what we've experienced in the past in a sort of traditional studio setup mainly because the amount of people we can have in a chat room is vast you know the chats happen the the how big do they get usually well exactly the social space and the dev space they cross over and share the same spaces which is proved to be unbelievably healthy you know so it keeps the you know just the tone of things well but also the ability to drop in and out and and meet more what we found is in this process, people have learned more outside of their own discipline because the general access to all the other things going on than in the previous studios. Also, another thing is like we had a system a while ago where we had like a buddy system. When someone joined, you're assigned a buddy, and the buddy was like, Hey, you got any questions? Give me a shout. And if you need to meet people, I'll introduce you to any problems. And, and yeah, they sort of introduce you slowly to bits of the business. Like we actually ended up abandoning that for our structure because it became redundant because what we find was like if you've got a problem bring it to a channel you've got like loads of people there answer it and and, and go to this channel there's loads of people answer it. so it became redundant that you needed a go-to known to try and sort of find your way through things because it was it was all there in the open um it doesn't take long to meet every corner of the studio and business because the frequency of these things and when you go through all the mirrors and then jump into a few channels, because you can just do it out of nosiness, you know, you, you're in a way introduced to everyone in the most open, quickest, safest way. And the other thing I want to stress is I actually think there's a real nice inclusive, uh, there's a few bonuses we found. So inclusivity, obviously, is something that we've been 
sort of keen to do and tackle. One of those things is, you know, the loudest voice in the room challenge that can yeah. happen. You know, we've got a range of personalities all working together. But what we find is, you know, actually, because we have the mirror boards, which you can iterate and think on and add to in your own time, you can go in the chat and do notes. You can join in conversation. You know, everyone's on the same playing level playing field. There are so many mediums to interact uh, uh, and they're all in the same place. Actually, everyone's opinions does get added to the mix and does get caught. And I think that's an important thing as well, because like, yeah, different people have different strengths in communication. And this caters for that and it allows for that. So it's, you know, it's quite strong what we found in that front. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. So, no, so, so in terms of, um, you know, being connected, we do other things where well. we do actual physical offsites and we do them quarterly. <gasps> so every quarterly, we actually go and do an offsite. Now, what we've said is getting together just to fix a problem, like, oh my God, something's going to be very much get together, is kind of a fail state. In our mind, yeah. like that's a yeah. So if we have to get together to fix the problem, then something's gone wrong, um, and we haven't hit that point yet. So currently, all of our get-togethers have been very much we're actually going to socialise because we work when we work and it's going really well. So actually, if we're going to have this time. What's the best use of our time together? Is it to look at our monitors and go around one screen? No, because it's a lot easier when we're doing it remotely. So so therefore, um, our offsites have evolved into pure social get-togethers, which has been, for me, a sign of success of how we work, because we, we've been able to do that. We originally planned to do a bit of both, a bit of both, like strategic and company and get one aligned, but we've had so much traction with alignment, but actually, they've been focused on social, which is quite cool. Amazing. Nice. Sounds yeah. like Definitely well. very healthy. So before I get into, I have quite a few questions written down. Yeah. I have, for everyone in the chat, um, comments has been a bit weird, but I've been writing them down. So if you have any more, please keep them coming. Uh, so I have one more question before we move on to uh, oh, live hey, chat. Pam. <laughs> hey, hey, Pam. Um, lovely. So this has come up a little bit in the chat as well. So it's there's so many new processes, I feel. So like if yeah. you're looking to implement something like this to an established studio, yes, I'm just thinking like, I guess, what's step one? Like, what do we need to get right before we even consider that? Yeah, that's an interesting point and comes up often. Um, I think there's one thing, as you said, what is the, like, is it a physical on-site studio? Is it a remote studio? So, like, uh, if it's a remote studio Let's take that and you want to bring this in, I would start with, like, really be clear on the behaviours of how you want this studio to be what you put emphasis on in terms of what you want from the team. And then I would also do the process mapping exercise because it is surprising until you actually illustrate who does what, who's responsible, what you want to achieve, and then put your behaviors next to them, you'll realize how often they don't align. And actually your processes are not encouraging the behaviors you want. Um, so I think there's a sit back, take a breath exercise of actually look at what you want to achieve, who you want to power, how you think is best to get there, what you've had success with in the past, and and then really boil down, like, is that success enough? Do you want to change it up? So understand your objectives, what you're trying to do. But I really think the act of process, I don't know if anyone's actually run a proper process map or not, but it's... Could you break that very... down a little bit? I don't know if it will take a long time, but like process oh. mapping exercise. 
So essentially, you identify a kind of loop of you know decision ownership path, decision gate, who owns what, where that goes. Like the current state. We're mapping yeah, out. Yeah, and it goes from generation of software decisions to the role of production to the role of directors to the role of seniors, mm -hmm. role of leads. And, and That's a big exercise, I imagine. That's yeah, yeah. And you can process map like what are the loops. And often you'll find if you actually track a process that you're running live. I mean, we did this. I've got to be honest. Some of them, some of them went around in loops. We're like, oh god, mm -hmm. that's weird. And then we actually thought about it. But yeah, that's that's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so we should fix that. Um, and that is quite an eye-opener when you go, well, okay, that's the process now. This is what we want. And then you can start working the two together. And actually, it makes you question your wants, and it makes you question your processes a little bit. Um, and then next thing you know, you can kind of it all highlight areas that need love. Uh, so that would be my starting point. And I think the, the next point, I would actually wholesale put out there is actually mentality like pending your behaviors and what you want of course but like but everyone needs to be bought in on the mission during how you want to work this is where we're trying to go and this is what we want to be and this is phase one of that and you can talk to phase one based on your process mapping your behaviors but the idea is is you do phase one you roll it out but you say do you know what nothing's set in stone we're going to review and we're going to see what works well and what does not and then mm. the whole what works well and what does not is a listening exercise as much as a go back to your process. Now, often you'll get feedback where you think, well, actually, but we want that. And people are saying, don't want that. So uh, what is wrong? Why are they not liking the thing that we want? And then, then you can figure that problem out. So what I would say is the process we've got now isn't just we rolled it out and it was great. You know, it was an evolution. You know, we, we, we did things. Uh, the presentation of data changed. We started using more visual graphics. We started supplying more information on things so people had the right context. And you know, even how we um, did kickoffs, for example, one of the challenges was the, the need for a kickoff to be uh, truly grilling. I use the word grilling a lot because um, I, I, that's, that's what you want from a proper kickoff. Um, but that was a break in our link in our process because what happens, people had expectations of how to do things, people had expectations of what they wanted, and the alignment wasn't quite there. And when they two met at the end of the sprint, the alignment exploded. Um, common trait. So um, what we ended up doing was enforcing, oh, enforcing, so yeah, in, encouraging a way of working to facilitate the kickoff. Because what we wanted was this behavior of like really. Yeah, really you want the buy-in before you just tell everyone to do sure it. that alignment was there. So what we ended up doing is we had three colored boxes. One was a thought, one was a fact, and one was a question. So what we did is we then, on a mirror, my ad, we said the, the user story is, you know, I want a gun that makes me feel powerful and blows people away, or, I don't know, whatever the story is. And the acceptance criteria is, you know, it's got to be like a shotgun thing. You know, it must have an area of effect as well as a thing. And my, whatever your criteria is. But um, but they just want to feel super powerful with it. Now you could argue you need to model it, do all the spear effect, do everything. Yeah, but how far do you go? So so the idea of the grilling is like, okay, is this a brand new weapon? You know, so someone put a ticket, which is a question: is this a brand new weapon, or are we going to use a weapon that we know from before? And then that stakeholder will go, no, we'll base it on this weapon. So it is that one. Go, oh, cool, that's a fact. Then you color that as a fact. And then it goes, well, if you're based on this weapon, you said you want that, and that's a fault. So I'm not sure if that is what you want. And you go, okay, four. And then you go, well, here's another question. 
well, you say this, and yeah, blah, 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 what about that? And that so what happens, these questions and thoughts and facts go, and the goal of the stakeholder is to turn questions into facts or leave them as thoughts, i.e. team, go figure out. That's a good idea, maybe, let's see. And what you find, the act of formalizing a kickoff to truly grill a stakeholder evolved and got better. And we found traction shot through the roof after we did that. So there's nothing to do with talent. There's nothing to do with not communicating or talking. It was the act of a kickoff um, was the blocker for us. Um, and that is a great example where the visual diagram and cue of a really good kickoff um, well, gain traction and helped us. Now, interestingly, we found side effects to this as well. So mm -hmm. funny enough, because we had these three graphics, three colors of thought, fact, and question, is if you went to a kickoff and it was fact, 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 you saw lots of one color, it was all facts. Generally, nine times out of 10, that someone has written a story that's not really a story in it, and they know exactly what they want, and they've dictated all the results, and these are mm -hmm. all the facts, there's nothing but facts. That is probably an unhealthy story. Probably not the best stakeholder. But I've been the other way as well, where, you know, all thoughts, all thoughts, all thoughts. That's someone who doesn't know what they want. You know, and you can look at it, just like that graph, you look at it and see all that color, and you go, clearly there's a story there with not enough facts, not enough thoughts. That, you know, something's not right. And what you got mm -hmm. is what I call Blue Sky Team. There's a whole team where no one knows why, and everyone's got thoughts, but there's no real sort of steer on that. And then the other one is, uh, you know, questions so if it's just full of questions and not turning to thoughts or facts then you know something's gone very wrong <laughs> so, so uh, what i found was i could quickly look at all of the kickoffs at a glance and just by the mix of color tell you whether that's been a good kickoff or not so the, the scale of it and the color of it would tell you if there has been a good grilling or not uh, and that was really encouraging because other people pick up on that as well the last thing i'll just add to that is there is a you know a confidence thing to go to a stakeholder. Often they're very senior sort of members of the team and not everyone's comfortable grilling them. So I like to say grill them because I want to turn into a sport. Like, no, you should be challenging that person. And um, what I found was it was a lot easier when someone put a few tickets down or even I jumped in, I knew the answer. I'd throw a few questions in there just to poke a little bit. And that spawned the next question. So oh, I didn't think about it. I didn't know about that. What about the rig? What about this? What about the sockets? Oh, you're using that animation now. What about this? So when someone said animation, they then hook this person into this kickoff who wasn't there in the first place. And I wrote, oh, what about this? And so on. So it really started pulling everyone like a gravity well into that kickoff for that feature. Now that really brought on like cross-discipline feature-led kickoffs. And the alignment was super strong uh, uh, once we got that process down. And the act of ownership, as in, again, I'll say from junior to experience, to really grill and the responsibility to really get under the skin of that thing, you know, that is what they should be doing. You know, don't be shy or quiet about it. You know, someone's asking for some work, they've got to know what they want and you got to know, you know, how you're going to get there. So you should ask those questions. Because if you don't, that's when the sort of mishaps and development happen. Mm. I feel like, Buying is super important. And I feel like the way you've done the kickoffs, like just you get buy-in from all the cross departments. So I think like that's one of the worries I'd imagine someone trying to look get something similar that Endreams is doing, putting it into their process. Like once they can get all their buy-in, I think if you can just trial it. And I didn't know actually. I thought it was more of a, hey, this is what we're doing. But it sounds like even for you guys, even though you started remotely, you were still an evolution. You were going through 
yeah, yeah. We, I think the first sort of year, it was quite an evolution. We did have a sort of, I had a six month run in trying it on a project that was live before we started. So we started with the base and uh, yeah, and we evolved it. But it's definitely settled now. And what we found is the scalability of this uh, because the act of a director now isn't to literally dictate direct. You know, it very much is these are the pillars, they're not changing. You know, tell me, we'll show you what you got. And the team are serving the directors essentially. Yeah. What you find it's much easier to grow that out because if you put more people into that team, the whole team carry that weight and burden of direction and what they're trying to achieve and what they're trying to do. Even the production effort to a degree is up to the sort of teams to really pull together and build their own roadmap that they have belief in to do what they want to do. So what we found is onboarding is a very different experience because actually the, the, the roles are so well defined that you can find, if you're a senior or a director in the studio, your onboarding is, is a very sort of specific known quantity and, mm -hmm. and you can be super crystal clear on it. And then the team will sort of help disperse the rest. Um, so we found it to be unbelievably scalable in terms of, introducing new talent, um, ramping up new talent, uh, even exposing people to the whole game. Like often I remember starting in studios, it took me ages to understand how everything worked, understanding a bit of the game. Yeah. yeah, this has just shot that through the roof. It was so easy to just indulge yourself in the entire development. But, um, well, it's quite, it's quite refreshing actually, it's quite rewarding. I've got to admit, even I've learned more um, from Unreal and, and all the sort of cross-disciplined publication of work yeah. than I ever have in previous devs. because so yeah, you, you get so much through osmosis, right? Like you just... Yeah, and also it's the consumability of it, is that a word? But um, it's... Ease so of access, beautiful. like it's just yeah. beautiful visual. Yeah. You're not going into Unreal and having to read a book to understand what you're going to about to read. Yeah, I've learned more specifically on the tech code front for having them publish their works in as results. As in, like, I understand those systems far more than I ever did, you know, and then the knock-ons to that. Um, so specifically, like, yeah, AI, for example, we had some, you know, pretty in-depth um, breakdowns of what we need and expect and how we plan to tackle AI, but all illustrated, even though it's code at the end of the day. And, um, you know, it, the whole team has such an understanding about how our AI functions now, which is not normal, but it's fantastic. Yeah, of course not. You'd be doing masterclasses after masterclasses if you otherwise, right? Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We've just hit an hour, so let's right. get to the Q&A. So sure. I've written some down because I can only highlight so many. So I'll try go in order, everyone. So this is one from Evolution, actually, Jamie. So are there signals you're looking for when you're interviewing so you can tell how effective someone will be, I guess, in your remote format? Um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, key thing there is, uh, obviously, everyone comes from a certain background or discipline, so proficiency in a certain discipline, whatever that may be, on show and demonstrating is always handy. Yeah, if someone's more junior, then obviously a showing someone that they have an aptitude for something in that space is key. So I think demonstration of aptitude is really important. It doesn't matter if you've not done this, specifically if you're starting out, it's probably more if you have aptitude of things in that space. So the, the whole folio content thing. But the other thing is we, we do talk to people very openly about how we work. It is different. You know, um, it is onus on the individual to build their own style of success. So like, you know, mm -hmm. you have to be responsible to inform yourself. It's not like we're not going to just like mentor teachers and tell you exactly what to do and how to do it. Like, you know, if you 
I'm going to pick on animation. If you just love doing animation, you want animation after animation, you want animation listings, you just want to go on animation. To be honest, it's probably not the studio for you. And we would be honest with that. So what we're looking for is being an animator, of course, but like we're building a game, we're building a feature. And as an animator, you're going to have an animator working on the, you know, the action sequences. You're going to have another animator working on the character. You might find as an animator, you're going to be with a VFX and a coder and a program, and you'll be spending months with those people because it's very feature-led. Um, the other thing is uh, some people like, um, you know, a lot of knowns. One thing I'll say is part of this process is being comfortable with the unknown, like uh, having faith in um, blocking out and time boxing. Uh, like we know we need a feature. We don't know what that feature is yet. But what we do know is we've got a period of time to innovate. And once we get the end of the innovation, we're going to pick three of the best things. No idea what they are. But we're going to pick three of the best things. After the best thing, we're probably going to pick the best and do polish fade to make it right to get it, you know, in game and not prototype. So we're going to put that time side. And then and so, so, so point being is you have no idea what this feature is. There's no spec for it. And no one's going to go and write you a spec either. Because what we're going to do is we're going to start and we're going to react to software. We'll see where it takes us. So there is an element of experience in appropriate approaches to development. But there needs to be comfort in not having all the answers. Yeah. So if someone's like, I can't do that until I get a spec sheet, or I can't do that until I know all the no's and so on and so on, like that's going to be difficult. Um, so I do think, like with us, that you need to be brought in with the idea of sort of, you need to be able to act on your own agency and your success is going to be in the software and your ability to manage your own agency. Like we're not going to be the dictators and list all your work for you. If you cannot draft your own work, then that's a problem. Now, obviously there's an element of seniority and you know juniors needing input and that's all there as well. But essentially, you know, we are living a studio, well, living in a studio that prioritizes a sense of autonomy. Uh, we will update you, we'll give you the framework, we'll give you the goals, we'll give you the times, we can give you the budgets if you want. But it's like, I think this is what we have to work with. We are masters of our own destiny. So you know, it's for you to act on that agency and realize that. Now, that's not for everyone, but it is for a lot. So it does depend on people's personal motivations. And I think, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong the other way. Uh, it's just for us, I think you have to go into it eyes wide open. That that yeah. framework is about being comfortable with what you don't know. Yeah, I feel like you're giving them the opportunity to self-filter more than once there, right? By explaining yeah. what it is. So yeah, I like that. Alrighty, we'll try to do these a bit quick fire, uh, Glenn. So I have one from Siberio, just about uh, volunteer and internship. So if someone wanted to join End Dreams Elevation and learn from the process, is do you guys offer internships? Any background quick info on that? Well, we'll say is reach out to End Dreams. We do have an academy process. So look into End Dreams Academy. So I don't know what, rather than go in and that, I recommend check out End Dreams Academy. There's nice. loads there. So you just Google that and it'll, it'll Google get Google that. End Dreams Academy is a brilliant process. We've had phenomenal um, like uh, postgraduates, even pre-graduate talent come through that hey, academy. Yeah. And uh, it's been brilliant. Um, to the point it even supports people crossing from one skill set to another. You know, we've had people moving from film who want to go to games and things like mm. that. So there's lots of support with the academy as well. Um, but yeah, the short version is yes, check out the academy. Go from there. Nice. You can spend more on it if you want, but there's all the answers. No, no, that's, that's plenty. Uh, lovely. This is a lengthy question, but it is a good one. So I will get it. It is from Jakub. So please let me know if I understand it correctly. The studio uses Teams and Miro for daily communication. Miro has a 
integration with Jira, which works both ways. Is that correct? Yeah, so we don't, it's correct in the sense the studio persistently runs on cycle sprint cycles of three weeks and the channels are persistent for each sprint. They're, they're changed every sprint. So the studio exists in those channels and that evolves every sprint depending on the sprint goal. Uh, the channels are Miro and Teams together. So you have all of the mediums together. So generally, you get in the habit, you open a channel, you open the Teams, uh, you open the Miro, and you open the uh, Teams channel, and then off you go. Uh, so you're right in that. Uh, the team interacts and plans in Miro, and the production team have tickets of a format which will then get outputted into Jira. We don't run Jira back into Miro. So okay. it's, it's a one-way street. Yeah, the, the, the team are focusing on the production of the game and the content, and we try and make that as frictionless as possible. Nice. But also we do set formats. Um, yeah, maybe on another show and tell thing, we can actually show some of those formats because they've been a long time evolving. But they, mm. yeah, the fact we get 50 people planning in the same place effectively is phenomenal. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, hopefully that answered some of your question, Jakob. So uh, I have another one from... Marius from Natural Motion. So how about instilling this with more junior staff who don't have, I guess, all the context and wisdom as seniors? So this might be more on the, if you already have a studio, right? This is not one where you can onboard, I'm guessing, like if you were trying to implement this to more junior staff. Um, so just to understand the question, is it more, how do I onboard, if I'm doing this already, how does it work with new new junior talent coming in or... I want to understand. I want to say it's more about like if we were trying to convert the current team. Yes, I think this could work better if everyone was senior and we're like, hey, we got the context. You understand why? Yeah. Like maybe junior staff might be a tad bit harder. So, any tips yeah. on what to do there? So, well, firstly, I don't think you can do it to one half of the team, not the other. I think fundamentally, it is a uh, philosophy that needs to be brought in at all tiers because the responsibility is distributed across all. So, for example. The studio or the team has a responsibility to mentor juniors um, and that this, this process and this communication allows for consistent mentoring so mentoring is what i call informal so during the sprint we take opportunities to do lesson plans and you pick up on things that are not going well and turn it into a lesson plan and the act of critiquing and communication which is something you take part in over time is a skill that you instill but you also, you want people to behave how you're behaving. So your seniors must behave a certain way. To lead by example. Them. Yeah. To, sorry? Lead by example. Yeah, lead by example. Absolutely. So, but, you know, it's also, it's, a, it's, it's opposites, isn't it? Like a senior will say, this is the want, this is the need. Quiz me. But then the act of quizzing you know, needs to be done in articulated in the right way. So but the point is, how do you get juniors to buy into it? I think one is just experience. Try it. And what you find is often there is a sentiment that remote working isn't good for juniors because they don't get the mentoring they got in a position. I would argue differently. I would argue that juniors will get exposed to more development, see more screens, and the benefits of ad, ad hoc mentoring is massive. Like I can grab someone's Unreal remotely and go, oh, look at this, check that out, check that out, do you know this? And, or if we do a mentoring session, other people see it, and they go, oh, I didn't know about that, and so on, so on. So we found mentoring has gone through the roof. We're doing more mentoring now than we ever did previous. So if the question is, you know, how do you just get your juniors to buy into it? I think um, experience it, 
do it, try it. But I think there's a, going back to the previous question, you got to get the framework there. Like yeah. you need to build a framework that sets your team up for success. So it's onus on, I think the studio directors or stakeholders, depending on structure to ensure that you've got a structure that you believe sets them up for success. Uh, I think that's the key thing that you can own, but then put them in that scenario and you will stress test it. <laughs> and then if you yeah. then watch and listen, you'll see what you need to, to you know, tweak and get right. So I believe so long as you've got a healthy framework, and by that I mean, for example, when we ramped up, we ramped up some senior staff. We put the senior staff in place, and we were very cautious about how many genes we brought into that as well. And then they matured before the next round came in. So we did it nice. easily. Um, so it's really important that if you're going to bring juniors in, well, there is going to be the right time, yeah. Yeah, um, but don't do too much at once. Which I think that's kind of normal common sense but um you know that framework you've got to be clear and it's got to be there and you've got to listen to it for when it's not working and be prepared to tweak it when it's not um but yeah so what we found is right, our juniors are loving it uh, i've got to be honest i think the biggest challenge is the behaviors of seniors is where the real cultural challenge will be it will be more happens to break you can't dictate and even if that's not what you would have done it's more what do you want to happen and why get that message in and see how they and also their answer might be better than yours yeah you, you got to get in software and see and so the senior mentality because you are critiquing in the open all the time you have to be articulate and um you have to be i suppose clear and, and honest with that feedback and stand by that feedback and be prepared so there should be no reason you couldn't feedback on any content in an open room so if there is then there's a probably a problem there anyway so they probably ask yeah. about that <laughs> so um yeah juniors not a problem i personally i think they're hungry for it um and i think it's the best exposure to the games industry rather than telling them why they should do it let them see for themselves yeah thousand percent lovely couple of questions from pamela so i guess you mentioned this like you review it in build so how do you review in build remotely what's been your best outcome yeah, so obviously we're all in VR, um, so we, we all have our VR headsets, we can play in VR all the time, and we review in VR. Um, we actually have a bunch of review tools, That's super cool, though. you have a, a review gun where you can make geometry disappear to check for occlusion and things like that. Uh -huh. uh, but also you screen share, so you have your social screen, your output, so when I'm playing VR, I'm publishing that to a channel, A1CNA, and other people publish theirs to a channel, or we split screen have a few things running on that channel. So you could be watching someone else play, you could be in VR yourself, but essentially, I mean, that happens naturally organically in the channels, but when it comes to review of a said feature, we identify that channel, identify that title, we're gonna review this in that channel, and the goal of this review is a gate, keep, pass for, you know, block out to gray box, for example, and the, some people are there to be informed. Some people are there to make decisions. You know, so know your role, and this meaning is for those. But it's open to all. So that's played through. People comment. People talk. People address their issues. And if someone's talking like I'm now, gas bag and load, la la la, people will be putting their notes on. Oh, I see what you're saying, but don't forget this. Don't forget this. What about that? What about that? And as I'm talking, I see that. And go. That's a good point. Oh yes. What about this? And so on and so on. Um, so that process of everyone adding live real time um 
is actually amazingly beneficial to get more input, more review, more opinions in a very tight space of time. But more importantly, like you're not limited by the, the room you're in. Yeah, you have as many or as, or as little interested. It's kind of it's open to you really. But um, yeah, reviewing is the same case of you know you got to be in VR. You got to you know feel it. You know the depth perception is something that has to be only in VR. You can watch it on the screen, but it only goes so far. So we do encourage people, you know, playing VR and let us know what you think. Like often we talk about presence, the measurement of good VR is good presence. And that's mm. a non-2D thing that can be expressed. So there's no getting away. You need to spend time in a headset. But that's true of any game. You need to sit and play a game. So yeah. it's kind of traditional, really. You play the game. The difference is we can um, share our game and publish our game as we're playing real time around more people easily. Right. Beautiful. So a couple more questions. We'll try to do these quick fire. So this is one from Richard. So Slack is gone. So does that mean instant messaging is gone? Or do you use Teams for that? No, so we use Teams. So all of our chats is Teams. So in terms of elevation, we keep it all in uh, Teams. So very, and this is it. I can't stress the importance of this. Try and get rid of the noise and fewer pieces of software with more people crossover. And that is integral. Um, I think the benefit of having more people in the same spaces far outweighs the clever features of various social tools. Yeah. Um, I agree. Having less channels is more. If that makes sense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we, we, you know, I've got to be we have Slack, but more honestly, we have Slack for external reasons, as in people who want to talk to us yeah. who do Slack. In terms of our studio, we're very much it's Miro, it's Teams. Nice. I'm curious there um, when you. Do you do much instant messaging? Because with the actual channels being open, in my head, like you could just try join well, a channel is, and say hi. This is the thing, actually. We, because we encourage, you know, the, do you remember the, the behaviors? One of those fluid communication. Yeah. Don't post a comment in Slack and then see it disappear in the ether and then expect that person who was aimed at to see it and it's gone and then this important thing's lost and oh, hell break through. You know, go and chase someone down. Like, like if I was in the office, it was important, I'd probably go and talk to them, saying that, you know, see right? if they're busy or not, right? Because it's a real physical space, so it's okay. You know, uh, if someone's got their headphones on, hunkered down, maybe I'll wait, you know. Um, but because we've got the channels, we can jump in, we can see what people are doing, I can see the whole studio, I know where they all are, and I can sort of go to a, a, a place to put it. And if they're talking, I can just put in the comments there and promote that point. And what we found is more conversation has replaced all of the slacking. And also alignment. I think when you're talking with people, with body language, you know, through a camera, you're gonna get far more understanding whether someone's understood something or not. Um, so our, our instant messaging isn't as extreme as some people might think. Like I think, I don't have nothing wrong with Slack, but I think there are tools that go beyond Slack. Yeah, conversation. Mm. Yeah. Um, lovely. I have two more here and then we can wrap up. So sure. from Pamela, so who owns writing the stories for features? Are they cross department or is there one owner for each story? What is the process there? Yeah, this is a, it's an interesting one. Um, so it's, this is part of the evolution thing. So it started very on with, early on with directors doing the user stories because like user stories are really tricky things, right? Um, they can be very concise, but by abstracting something so down to something so pure, it's time consuming and difficult. There's an art to good user stories with good acceptance criteria. So it started with our directors and there was a learning curve, curve of getting aligned on what that was. Um, the age old thing for people who have spent time in user stories is not turning into, here's what I want to do, story, 
here's how I want you to do it, acceptance criteria, which is not a good use right, at all. Um, and, and sort of getting around that. Now we got that and then we kind of worked with our leads and then we, we kind of, this is how we've done them. And so we ran our sprints and you could see the user stories that were crafted well, were delivered well. The ones that were ambiguous and wonky often had problems and it didn't take long before you could see the patterns emerge. So we identified good user stories, not so good user stories. So we had a user story workshop. So like right now we have a consistent channel, uh, which is just for production stuff, where the um, project leads are actually going through the backlog and they are iterating and workshopping their user stories and acceptance criteria. So they work with production team, but it's one of those things, it's, it's not like, oh, send one person to a agile scrum training course and they will teach everyone else, which again is common practice a lot often. It's you know, we were trying to get everyone to have hands on time to really learn and iterate the ability to do good user stories and spend time on good user stories. Now, you know, not just even just like the leads, we get like the principals or the lead animators or, you know, anyone who's kind of a domain expert will probably craft their own user stories. Now, what we need to happen is the, you know, leads need to be aware and the directors need to ensure that those user stories, rather than how they're written, are aiming towards the long-term strategic deliverables. So you kind of see they get drafted uh, throughout the team. Um, but there is still a responsibility to make sure the right stories are going in for the right deliverable. And the way we do that is when, when we have our uh, sprint kickoff, we have this is milestone X. The, this milestone is all about first playable, you know, first pass or whatever. And yeah, and then ex expectations around the game for that point. That frames all of the stories. So everyone should know why they're being asked to do these things and where it's sort of coming to. Um, then, uh, and then, yeah, so we're at the point where our leads and our domain experts are crafting them. But I've got to be honest, we started with myself and directors. And then as time went on and people got better in that process, when we that's now going down, which is now freeing our directors up to be very reactive in a strategic sense. Amazing. All right, Mr. Luke, Mr. Luke's in nicely to Pamela's final question, actually. So I guess how long did it take for your team to, if you understand, I guess your current process and for it to become second mate? Hmm. Um, I would say it's difficult. It's not a point in time because I'd say there's like some people took to it very well, very quick. Uh, what is people, very very quick? Uh, so very quick, I would say. Yeah, I could think of a couple of designers that really got the nuance of it within the first after them writing theirs, like the first few months. Like you can read it. Oh, that's wow. a user story, and I get that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I would say the process as a whole, got to be honest, for a year and a half. Okay, so yeah, you got to so feel two years in now. I said the last six months, whilst we're and, and whilst we're at scale, because the other challenge yeah. we got, we've been growing the team, and this process has been introducing new people all the time, which means the same questions come up all the time, and then they have to live it to believe it, and then they believe it, and they become converted. So the problem we've got is um, if you, I think, locked your team down sooner, I think you would accelerate that. But every time you're bringing in new talent, you have that process to start all over again. So for us, because we've been going through seasonal growth spurts, um, it's spread out over time. But I think as expected, because built into our studio is the mentoring philosophy. So I wouldn't yeah. use that as a benchmark, so I think it does depend on your scenario. Yeah, I mean, 
you also basically built the process as you did it as well. So like if someone was to do it, hopefully they can listen to this and maybe get a few pointers, right? Yeah, there's definitely a point where the evolution of the process was taking big changes. And then as it went on, obviously you get diminishing returns and smaller changes. I think we're definitely plateauing now. And and now we've got to the point we know when something's not on our process because it stands out. <laughs> like, ooh, that, yeah. that's gone wrong. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're in a good place now. And, and also Fantastic. we're in a good place now where when we bring people in, we feel very well versed at scaling this because it's it's already established at scale. Um, so we've got to a point where more is now more acceptable because we've been through that um, challenge. Amazing. Glenn, thank you so much. Any call to action for everyone? You've had a lot of people stay for the whole thing, to be fair. But yeah, any oh, wow. action? Any actual? Yeah, what do you want from people listening? What do I want? Um, oh, what do I want? Um, <laughs> I want? I want everyone to go and buy more VR games, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean the key. You need to make them is... first, Glenn. I need these cool games that you keep talking about. Yeah, I think the key thing for me is. You know, I read so much press about remote doesn't do this, remote doesn't do that. I think fundamentally is I think I really want people to realize if you really get rid of legacy challenges, even hierarchical structures, how rooms work, what used to be, and really, really objectively start fresh. What do you want? How do you want to get there? And really be open-minded about that because I actually think we're only tapping the, the potential of remote working. Um, and I think there's other things that, you know, that we're interacting with other businesses that work a certain way, but yeah, you know, there is a lot of potential and a lot of exploration to be done. Um, and I would encourage business owners, uh, directors to really, you know, be open-minded in the sense of try it, try it, trial it, give it a go. And it's different for everyone, but you know, there is success to be had there. Like our balance between work and life and quality has never been so high. And I know banged on about that online, but I honestly truly believe um, it took me a long time to get to this place. And I wish I could have started my career in a studio like this. <laughs> so if other people get there sooner, you're going to have uh, more time to do more innovation, to do better things. And, you know, who doesn't want that? So, um, yeah, it is a case of um, don't be too guided by what's gone before all the time remain open-minded and give things a go and listen i say listen to the software and listen to the team and you know really get to the bottom of those problems and if you pledge yourself to looking at those and fixing those each iteration of your studio will get stronger amazing all righty um so this is also going to turn into an audio podcast so um yeah for everyone listening definitely check out end dreams careers if you are happy with anything that you heard loads of uh, roles going around and it's not just in dreams elevation as well and yeah if you like this event we're doing a lot more roundtables live so you can just follow me at harry foku or evolution recruitment gaming you'll stay in the loop but yeah glenn thank you so much thank you everyone for listening thank you. yeah have a good one